And so what we see in the incarnation is that one, the friend of sinners, who went to the outcast, who showed such compassion, he came down from heaven to go to the unclean, the rejected, uh, those full of shame, those who weren't sorted, who came as a doctor for the unrighteous, who came to call sinners to himself, that one, that's what God's like. And in the incarnation, you see, there is no other God in heaven. Well, welcome to another edition of Digging Deeper. I'm so glad that you've joined us and tuned in to this episode. This is this is kind of a part two to one that we did previously with Dr. Brian Chapel as we uh, tandem here, two brothers in Christ who, um, who I love dearly, who both have been such a blessing to me, both in their teaching ministries and their writing ministries in the ways in which the Lord has used them. And so the, the second part of this is bringing in Dr. Michael Reeves, and uh, Dr. Reeves is joining us from across the pond uh, for, this, for this podcast. He'll be with us in person in March to preach again, as he did last year, and what a blessing that was. We can't wait to have him with us this time in person. Last year, we had to do it via modern technology and video and whatnot, but uh, Dr. Reeves, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us and, and taking time out of your busy schedule uh, to share your heart, perspective, insights um, as it pertains to this this incredibly important doctrine of the incarnation. But thank you, brother, for being here. Jeff, it is a pleasure to be with you. Well, thank you, brother. It's a it's a an important. We were talking before we hit record on this how important this doctrine is. We're in the we're in a teaching series right now at the church um, that we just started uh, called God with us. Right as we think about Emmanuel and what the implications of of even that name and God with us, but really what we're saying is we're we want to dig deep into uh, the doctrine of the incarnation. What does it mean for us that the God of the universe took on flesh uh, and became man? And and we in in the first episode, if you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it uh, as part one of this, where we really leaned more into. Uh, the how, if you will, of this of this uh, mysterious reality. How can we even begin to process it? It will never fully process. It's, it is a mystery. How do we even begin to process that that God became man and took on flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us? Uh, where we're leaning more in this one, and some questions that I'll be asking Dr. Reeves is more more leaning into the why. Why should we care so much? Why does it matter? What are the implications for us? And uh, so I'll start there uh, with you, Dr. Reeves. So let's let's just uh, begin our conversation with that question. Why why does this matter so much? And really, what I, what I'd love for you to speak towards is this doctrine of the incarnation. Why should it matter for the Christian so much in our daily lives? So we tend to talk about it a fair amount, obviously, as we move towards Christmas each year. Um, but for the believer, for the follower of Jesus, even January through November, what? How, why should this matter so much? What are thoughts you have around that? Yeah, absolutely. The incarnation should matter to Christians every day from the moment they wake up in the morning. Mm. And it, it should matter for a few reasons. The first one, I think of that beautiful promise in Isaiah that the glory of the Lord will be revealed to all flesh. Mm. And that's the first thing we see in the incarnation, that 
we go through life, you just naturally can wake up in the morning with a particular view of God in your head. Mm. And we naturally tend to think of God as austere, aloof, very unpleased to see us. Right. And therefore, I'm going to have to buy and confess my way into his favor. Hmm. And then he might tolerate me. And I'm not going to be delighted with such a God. I'm not going to spontaneously praise such a God. And what the incarnation does is say, behold your God. Here he is. Hmm. This is God covered in flesh. This is what he looks like. So if you had a view of God that doesn't look like Jesus, that view of God was wrong. Mm, that's because good. you've seen me, you've seen the Father, says Jesus in, in John 14. Mm. He is the Word made flesh, the Word who is God. And so what we see in the incarnation is that one, the friend of sinners, who went to the outcast, who showed such compassion, he came down from heaven to go to the unclean, the rejected, mm. uh, those full of shame, those who weren't sorted, who came as a doctor for the unrighteous, who came to call sinners to himself, that one, that's what God's like. Mm. Mm. And in the incarnation, you see, there is no other God in heaven. And, and it's not like there's, well, that's lovely, kind Jesus, the friend of sinners, but behind him mm. is some other God who's not quite like that. Right. No, no, that's just not true. That's just coming straight out of the devil's whispering. Mm. The glory of the Lord is revealed in this one. Mm. And that's where you get to see his character. In fact, there's this lovely moment in John 12 where Jesus says, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Yeah. In yeah. other words, you don't know who God is until you see me particularly lifted up on the cross. That's where my character is revealed. You just mm. see the depth of my love. You'd never guessed at how loving I was. So Moses said to the Lord, please show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, but you cannot see my face. Mm. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, we have seen through the gospel the knowledge of the glory of God in the face, face. of Jesus Christ. So in the face of Jesus Christ, we see the God who is the Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, bounding in steadfast love to thousands. That's who we see. So the incarnation fixes our view of God. That's the first thing. I love the connection you're making there for the, for the everyday life of the follower of Jesus between uh, the incarnation of Jesus and the glory of God, that we see his glory. And, and, and we just preached on this, uh, this in the first series, uh, sermon of this series, but John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And uh, I love that connection you're making of, okay, so every day I tend to wake up, I so resonate with what you're saying there. I, 
I tend to wake up, and I've said this often over the years, I have to reorient my heart to the gospel every morning, to the truth of who God is first, what he's done for me in Christ, and therefore who I am now. Because every morning, my, my, my tendency is I wake up battling that old self, those old thoughts, that old way of thinking. And what you hit on that I just want to sit in for a moment, and, and maybe you can even uh, speak to it a little bit more, add a little more flavor to it. But what you said is that I think is so true and poignant. We see Jesus and we go, and I, I'm trying to use your words here. We say, yes, what, what a kind Jesus, but there's another God behind him who's not like that. Talk more about that because, and you said that's the whisper of the devil. Um, any other thoughts you have around that? Because I think, I think we all need to sit in that truth or that lie that there's another God behind Jesus. And what we're not believing and remembering is that God is Christ-like. In other words, you see Jesus and you see God, right? He, and so, yeah, I'd love to hear more, more kind of sharing your heart on that. I think of what you've said has made me think of Hebrews 1 verse 3. Mm. He is the radiance, mm. the radiance of his father's being, the exact imprint of his nature. Mm. Now, that word radiance is key, and it's to do with glory. Mm. Because when we talk about the glory of God, I think we can imagine God is an applause junkie. And we can say, well, that's okay, because he's God, so he's allowed to be. But really what he's interested in is us all um, applauding him. Mm. As if really he's needy and wants to take from us. Mm. And I think that's the impression we can have of God so easily, that he's a God who wants to get from us. Mm. But what you see in that phrase, he is the radiance of the Father's being. You see, here is a God who doesn't need to get anything. Mm. He doesn't need us at all. He's in need of nothing. In fact, he's the opposite, that the glory of this God is like a radiant, outshining light. Mm. So you see the glory of God where when God sends forth his son into the world to mm. die for us. What is the hour of his glorification? John 12, when he lays down his life to die. Right. That's his glory in self-giving. He mm. doesn't need applause from us. Mm. That his very nature is a self-giving thing. And so when you see in Jesus that self-giving love, that's the radiance of the Father's being. Mm. You're seeing the Father's heart in Christ's self-giving. So no, there is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. Mm. And we must tell ourselves that afresh because that's what the devil loves to do first thing in the morning. Right. To say God is an anti-gospel. God is against you. God just wants to take from you. God's not there to bless you. And in the incarnation, we say, no, mm. God is like Jesus, and he's proved who he is on the cross, first and foremost. Yeah, that, That's the ultimate demonstration, the shining of his glory. And therefore, I see a friend of sinners. 
Mm. I see one who is more loving than I could possibly have imagined. And what that then does to me first thing in the morning is I go, I can hardly believe it. Mm. But if that's true, praise starts coming out instead of sulking sure, and, yeah. and shuffling away from him. About to say, or avoiding him, right? Yeah, because I think um, perimeter folks know that I use this language a lot, but I think it's a um, the difference between uh, sitting and believing that he merely tolerates us versus he adores us. He, be- he we are his beloved, uh, in whom he is well pleased because of Christ in us. And and, and how beloved? Well, the Father sent his son into the very darkness mm. of the worst bits of our existence to take our humanity our flesh and blood upon himself mm. and it's interesting this it's, it's our flesh and blood that for many people their sense of shame is bound up with their physical body mm. yes And what Jesus comes to take is our flesh to say, I made that in the beginning. I made Adam and Eve in my image. That's mine. Mm. And now it's been messed up by sin. I'm coming to claim it back. Mm. And I will take that flesh and blood that I created in my image, and I'm going to bring it so that what happens in the ascension because the incarnation isn't over what happens in the ascension is that flesh of ours that created flesh our flesh and blood he takes into heaven such that right now our flesh and blood sits at the right hand of the throne mm. god sits next to man mm. in that close fellowship mm. what do we have from the incarnation it means we have the fellowship with the father that the son's always enjoyed because now a man sits right in the lap of his father. Mm. Mm. And that flesh that is uh, fully glorified sitting at the right hand of the father right now uh, is our future reality in the sense of that this flesh that we, uh, you know, as Paul would say, uh, we battle against the flesh every day, the old self, we put on the new self and, but there's this day coming because, because the Son of God came once, and He's promised that He will come again, and, and we're getting this foretaste of, of glory now, this, this little deposit, this little taste of it now. But when He comes again, uh, that fullness of the glory of all things being made new, including our physical flesh, our bodies, our resurrected bodies, um, so you, in a sense, you know, I guess what I'm saying is we, we can't think about the incarnation and look back without also thinking forward to the coming of Christ again, right? Both are about the coming of Christ when he, when he came first and what that means for us now and when he comes again and what that means for us then and what we have to look forward to, right? That's what we're created to be, created in the image of God. We're made to be like the one who is the image of God, Jesus Christ. He took our flesh, took it through death into glory. This is what I want for you. And that includes for your flesh too. Right. So so that 
our hope is first john 3 2 we shall be like him mm. because we'll see him as he is mm. which is just profoundly um good news you know i i, I think so many of us we when we've we've talked about this we did a series on heaven back in the summer and so we've as a church body we've we've discussed this somewhat um but there's so many of us who have grown up in a Christian uh, culture, if you will, uh, that has emphasized the salvation of soul to the extent that we think that the second coming of Christ will will only rapture our souls up into this uh, spiritual heaven that uh, you know is absent of the physical realities that we know now. And just to even think about what God is doing through the coming of Christ, and then, and then fully completing in the second coming of Christ to make all things new, uh, including our physical bodies and the physical world and the new heavens and the new earth. And, uh, and so back to, as we think back to the first coming of Christ and the incarnation of Christ, I think your point is so, so important that he took on flesh. He became man. And, uh, and in so many ways, that, that has so many implications, obviously, of why did he, and Dr. Chappell talked about this last week, why did he have to be both fully God and fully man? You know, one, one, he has to be fully God so that he can save. He has to be fully man so that he can be tempted in every way that we are yet with, without sin and love us completely. But even to your point of the way he came speaking to the physical realities of, of even the shame that we most often feel, Right. Such a brilliant point. Let me ask you this. If you yeah, hadn't, hadn't taken that flesh, the devil wins mm. because he created it in the first place. And so mm. he's not going to let go what he first created. That's why he comes to take the very flesh that he created so that what he's created is redeemed. Wow. So it's the incarnation is saying God will win. Mm. And the project he started out with in creation, he will bring to a conclusion yeah. and death and sin and Satan will not win. And that means the curses that are found in Genesis 3, so pain in childbirth, work is hard, mm. means that, well, in that lovely song of Isaac Watts, Joy to the World, he comes to make his blessing flow as far as the curse is found. Yeah, and that means into our bodies too. Mm. Mm. Now you didn't ask me to do this, but I'm going to, I'm going to pause to give a, our listeners a, um, a little bit about the books you've written that have blessed me so much. Uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, we wake up in the morning and our tendency oftentimes is to not see God as who he is and the way in which he truly loves us in Christ and then you made a statement that, that uh, immediately make, made me think of two of the books you've written, uh, where you said, and so as a result, if, we, if that's how we see God, we're not going to then instinctively rejoice in Him, delight in Him. And so uh, two of your books that I've read that have just been awesome that I can't recommend enough to, to our listeners, and, and I tend to get the uh, rejoicing in the Trinity, delighting in Christ. Did I get, or is it delighting in the Trinity, rejoicing in Christ? Okay, I, I, I get those mixed up. So it was the latter. So which one did I say? You tell delighting me. in the Trinity and rejoicing in Christ. There you go. Delighting in the Trinity and rejoicing in Christ. If you're listening to this and you have not read those books, I would 
strongly encourage you. We have them in our bookstore here at the church. Obviously, get them anywhere, Amazon, whatnot. Uh, be blessed by those, the, because what you do in those books, Dr. Reeves, it is so helpful for the believer, is getting our hearts to that place of doing just that, rejoicing and delighting in the Trinity and in Jesus himself. And You know, uh, I, I was just looking, Jeff, at um, John 15 yesterday, and John 15, 11, Jesus says stunning words. He says, I have said these things to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be full. Mm-hmm. I think what he's, a, a fallout of that is if you don't have joy in the truths of the gospel, you've not properly understood them. Mm. Joy, rejoicing, shows you've actually got it Mm. because that's his intention. That's why he shines the light of his glory on us. Yeah. We might have joy in him. Mm. That's so good. Last question that, that um, I'd love for us to sit in for a few moments here is, as we consider these truths and we think about all the various implications of the doctrine of the incarnation and the ways in which it is so wrapped up in the gospel story, right? I mean, you can't talk about the gospel without talking about God became man, took on flesh, dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Um, for the believer, for the, for the person listening that follows Jesus, how, how do we begin to incorporate the doctrine of the incarnation more into our gospel presentations as we engage with those who don't know Jesus. Um, what does that begin to look like, do you think? I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that when we share the gospel with people, we tend to, because of our history, mm. we tend to make the assumption that when I say God, we're all in agreement with what we're talking about, mm. right? And so I can say, certain things about God and then we've got a problem with God and Jesus comes along as the solution. Hmm. But I think where most people are at today increasingly is they don't want God. They don't like God. They don't want to be close to God. Hmm. And so I found a number of times when I've done um, evangelistic mission weeks, for example, at universities, and I always make sure that the Christians invite the atheist society along. So hmm. make sure they come along. And you can usually spot them. Yeah. Um, th- th- they look like th- they're wanting a fight and yeah. they're not happy to be there. <laughs> right. And and so what I've had a number of times is those sort of guys come up to me and say, well, I don't believe in God. And I've said to them, can you tell me about the God you don't believe in? Just Just describe him to me. And what I find consistently is the God that they don't believe in sounds like Satan. Wow. So they describe a God. You think, that God sounds awful. (laughs) And so I'm able to say, well, I don't believe in that God either. That God sounds horrendous. Let me tell you about the God I believe in. The God I believe in is Jesus-shaped. And so what's his nature? Well, He came to call sinners. He's a friend of sinners. He came because he loved us so much. He died for us. He he, he came 
to redeem us from everything that's broken about us, from the brokenness inside and the brokenness in our flesh too. Now, that is a God so loving, so delightful, who his glory being shown is like he replaces water with wine. It's he, he calls in the outcast. He 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 heals the lame. That's what he's like. Now you think. Now don't you want to know this God? Mm-hmm. Well, now let me tell you about how he's come, and he's come to share our experience. So he knows everything you're going through, all the pain. It's not like he's sitting aloof and doesn't care. Yeah. He's come, and he came to die, to deal with the very root of that problem destroy it and take us through to a future beyond all that glorified. Mm. And so what the incarnation does is it helps us show people, here's a different God to what you're expecting. Yeah, And that's where we need. So Jesus isn't just the solution to a problem. He's the God you'd want to know in the first place. Oh. And so if we start there, I think that's a lot of the work we need to do in our culture today. Mm -hmm. As people are starting to turn away from any idea of a personal God, turn away from liking the thought that there could be a God, when you say, this is the real and living God. I know he's nothing like what you were expecting or dreading, but actually, wouldn't you want him to exist? Sure. Wouldn't you want to know him? Yeah. That is such... Such wise words and needed words, and so much of to to echo what you said there. So much of our engagement with um, an unbelieving uh, world and friends and family and whatnot, and even those that that, as you said, might be antagonistic, atheist, so forth. Uh, most of the time, I have found, and it sounds like you're saying this, uh, that they're only wanting to describe to you their perception, keyword perception, of the Old Testament God. You know, that this God in the Old Testament was just this ruthless, right? And to be able to to center the conversation on on Christ as he is God, uh, if you've seen him, you've seen the Father, and that the this whole dichotomy that we like to create, even Christians unknowingly create it between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament— is a false dichotomy. It's not real. There, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you want to know who he is— stare in the face of Jesus. He is the one. In, in the face of Christ, we have beheld the glory of God. Um, oh, so good. Thank you, brother. What a blessing to just hear your heart. To, to uh, For me, I, I don't even know. I'll, I'll speak on behalf of me. I know our listeners are blessed by this. I, though, gosh, thank you. I am so blessed just to sit with you, hear your heart, hear your perspective, your wisdom. Um, thanks for taking the time. Oh, thank you. I can't wait to be with you in person properly. Yes. March, Lord willing. Lord willing. March, uh, I don't remember the date, but we'll have that in the show notes. Uh, we'll, we'll have the date, the exact date that Dr. Reeves will be with us preaching. You can also find in our show notes the, the two books that, uh, that I referenced that he's written. We'll also include in that uh, the other books that he has written that are all spectacular in, in uh, the ways in which the Lord has, has gifted him and used him to be a blessing to to all of us through his writing ministry. So thank you, brother. We can't, uh, we can't thank you enough, and we're, we're so grateful for you. And I appreciate your friendship, your brotherhood, your partnership in the gospel. And uh, we'll talk to you and see you real soon. Likewise. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.